So this series apparently is all about teachable moments. Um, I have been a teacher in a previous life uh, before this current career. I say current because you never know quite what's going to happen, do you? Um, and I have been and continue to be the mother of two children. And I have to say, finding teachable moments and capitalizing on them can be at times quite a challenge. Is anybody a teacher here? <laughs> There's one. <laughs> Um, it can be quite a challenge. You think you prepared really, really well, or you've seen an opportunity and to show your children, your pupils, uh, what you mean through a word or an action that they've said or done. But you can so often fail too, to make the most of that opportunity. And we fail because we are human. Now, the teachable moment we have for us this evening is found in our reading from Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. For some of us here this evening, this is a familiar passage. We hear those, uh, we, we must allow those words perhaps sometimes simply to wash over us, thinking, yes, yeah, Sarah, we know what this is all about. There's nothing that you can tell me about this. I've got this sorted. For others, this is all a little bit amazing, a little bit bewildering. What can all this mean? Echoing what the disciples actually said at one point. Did it really happen this way? And, and what has this got to do with me here in Southampton? So, a little background to help us get to grips with it. Uh, for those who know the story, an opportunity to be, to be reminded. For those who aren't so familiar, some explanation, hopefully. So if you do have your Bibles, or your Bible apps, or your implements of torture, or whatever they might be, could you find those? Because you might actually find them useful. Uh, to have a look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us exactly when this is happening. It's on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is the Greek name given to the Jewish festival that was being celebrated at that point. It was the, known as the Festival of Weeks, or of Shavuot. It's called Pentecost because it's simply 50 days since Passover. That's for the Jews anyway. That's why it's called Pentecost for them. And for Christians like you and me here this evening, it's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection day too. So it's 50 days. The linguists amongst you might have got that. The Pente might have been a little bit of a clue. The Jews were expected to go up to Jerusalem to mark this pilgrimage festival. The festival was originally all about the harvest of the grain of the first fruits. And then it also became a time to celebrate when the Torah, that's the Jewish law, the 10 commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. So for the Jews, it was a time to give thanks to God for the food that they have successfully grown for another year and for the Ten Commandments, also given by God to guide them in every aspect of their lives for every year. God revealed himself to them at Mount Sinai with the gift of the Ten Commandments. So this pilgrimage festival meant for those who could or for those who perhaps should make the journey to the temple in Jerusalem and to give thanks to him there for all that he has done. And I guess that makes sense when you think about what they're thanking God for. 
for food that nourishes the body, but also food that nourishes the spirit too. And it's at this time that they're all together in one place. But who's they? They are the disciples, the newly appointed apostle Matthias as well, along with women who came with them and the other believers who are now with them. They're numbering about 120, according to Acts 1 verse 15. So already quite a crowd. Uh, When they had elected Matthias, they were in an upper room. But now it feels that it might be in a different place. There's debate about where this may have been, simply another building known to them perhaps, or as some would have it, actually in the temple precincts. This suggestion of the temple has plausibility if you understand what they're doing altogether. You need to go back to Luke 24, verse 53, to discover that. Now, those of you who might know can know that Luke wrote, wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts. And at the end of Luke, there is Jesus' ascension, but we have it also at the beginning of Acts, just to kind of make sure that we've really kind of got to grips with the beginning and the end of one story and the, and the kind of the, yeah. So at the end of Luke, we've got Luke 24, verse 53. The end of the account of Jesus' life on earth was witnessed by the disciples. As Jesus had told them, he's going to send them what's been promised them by his Father in heaven. He is going to send them something, and they're going to be clothed with power from on high. So that this could happen, he needed to be taken up into heaven. And this is what the disciples witness, his ascension. his being taken up into heaven, what Christians remembered 10 days ago. Luke tells us that the disciples were so overcome with what they'd seen and heard that all they could do was worship God. And what better place is there at this time for them to worship God but the temple, the center of Jewish worship? It kind of makes sense, really. And if it is in the temple, they're so overwhelmed in awe and amazement at what's happened to them, they just want to worship all the time. In a way, it doesn't really matter where it was, actually, because clearly God knows where they are. And he has a meeting with them that they'd been told of by Jesus, and I'm not sure they'd really understood what this meeting was going to be like. There they are, worshipping and praying, very probably in a way that they would have done on countless occasions with Jesus. But this worship was different because Jesus was not with them. He'd been taken up into heaven, hadn't he? They're worshipping, praising God for all that he has done, for being with Jesus, sorry, for being with Jesus, learning so much about the kingdom of God from him, knowing they're so loved. But think they've also been waiting and wondering, waiting for God to come and wondering what it would be like when God comes. What is going to happen? And then, with no warning, suddenly, A violent wind comes upon them where where it's so violent that the whole place shakes. Now, the closest I've ever got to this was when Mike and I were in New Zealand. This is the embarrassing story. This is it, okay? 
We were there for a most wonderful earthquake, not. Um, I, we were in a bar. I was thrown off the chair in, at, the, at the table, onto the floor, into somebody's lap. Mike was trying to stop the, uh, the glasses from falling off the table and trying to stop the table from going. It's an earthquake, darling. You're not going to be able to stop the table from shaking up and down. It was rocking up and down. He was going like this, sit down. Anyway, that was very destructive. That experience was horrendous, very violent. I think the shaking that the disciples experienced wouldn't have been destructive like that at all. God was coming in power, not to wreck and ravage, but to empower. So they hear and they feel the spirit come through the wind, blowing in places no wind normally does. It's an audible sign of God's presence, the roar of the Spirit of God, if you like. And the whole place is filled with God's heavenly realm, right there, right then. This was the empowerment that Jesus has spoken of, him breathing into them his life. Then, if that wasn't enough, there's another sign of God's presence, what appeared to be tongues of fire coming to rest on every individual who was there, a visible sign of what God was doing so they could hear, they could feel, and now they could see too. The Spirit of God rested on each of them there in what looked like a tongue of fire, if you like, a personal pillar of fire. Back in the day, God led the Hebrew slaves from bondage to freedom by getting them to follow a pillar of fire, showing them his power and love and providence. And now there's an individual pillar or tongue to clothe them with the power from on high, power especially for them as individuals, knowing who they are, what they are, where they've come from, and what they're to be called to, bringing them freedom in every way, not just physical, but spiritual and emotional too, release from the captivity that they'd been in, in the way that back in the day, those Israelites got released and freedom too. It's this power that is poured out on them, poured out so much, that they're filled and filled so much that they're incapable of doing anything else. Again, just again and again, worshipping God. This worship, though, was different to any worship the disciples had gathered had, had before. Anything like it. They had been worshipping and praying and waiting before. But now there's no more waiting. God is here, with them, in them. And the first thing they do because of this is to worship a bit more and pray and speak. But this time, the speaking is not in Aramaic, their language. It's in different languages. They're inspired to do so. The Spirit fills them inwardly to meet them as they are. And the Spirit fills them outwardly to equip them for the service that God has designed specifically for them, just as they are. All 
120 of them, fulfilling Joel's prophecy back in Joel chapter 2, that sons and daughters will prophesy. As God had revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, now he reveals himself afresh at Pentecost. What an event! What's happening and why now? Well, remember that bit about Pentecost, that Jewish festival? I don't think it's any accident that this is happening when there are so many devout, but perhaps foreign Jews in Jerusalem. Take a look at the map that you can see next door to me. Oh no, it's there, I beg your pardon. Have a little look. Those are all the places that Rhiannon successfully mentioned when she was reading uh, that. Now, the modern equivalents of those are things like Turkey and Syria. Now, I don't know about you, but I couldn't tell the difference between Turkish and Syrian. I'm really, really sorry. If you're a linguist and you can do, you can explain that to me later on. Somebody's over there smiling at me. I'll have a, le have a lesson with you later on. So I did a bit of research for us to get to grips with this, if you like. People would expect to ride a horse back in the day about 35 miles a day. So those who came from Crete had been traveling, I've worked it out, for 43 days to get to Jerusalem. Or they perhaps were there for trade, but they had originally made that journey from Crete. So if we assume they did travel to Jerusalem for the festival, then their journeys would have taken all the people there between 8 and 43 days. That's some pilgrimage, isn't it? To worship God. I don't know how far we would go to actually uh, worship God. Some of us barely roll out of our beds at times to worship God. Those people traveled 43 days. So it's quite difficult to understand that because I don't understand what Cretans are and all the rest of it. So have a look at the next map, if we can. So I've very kindly shown us where Southampton was, just for those of us who are uncertain where Southampton might be. Okay, and I've given us a map of uh, Europe. So equivalent for us today would be, these people are coming to Southampton and they're coming from Portugal, from Italy, from Poland, from Germany, from Greece, along with the nearer countries of France and Holland. Can you imagine what that would be like, all coming here? And not only that, but this group of people don't speak English, okay? They speak their foreign languages. Now, back in Jerusalem, the disciples were from Galilee. The listeners could tell this because they had a northern accent, another snide mic, uh, mic mark, um, a little bit like the Yorkshire accent, darling. Okay, everyone hears that Yorkshire accent. Everybody gets that this chap is from Yorkshire. It would have been the same for the Galileans. They come from the north. You can hear it in the way that they speak. But what do all these visitors actually hear? They hear more praise and worship of God. Just a continuation, really, of what the disciples have been doing before. No different. But now all are invited, are included in this worship because language is no longer a barrier because the disciples are speaking in their own tongues. They're speaking in the equivalent of Polish, French, Spanish, 
Portuguese, all those languages they're speaking in. Language is not a barrier anymore to the Spirit's working, to the Spirit's filling, to the Spirit's empowering. God wants everyone to know about his wonders. And all those who hear their own language being spoken by the disciples, praising God and worshipping him for all he has done, are left with the question, what does this mean? And for us to quote a well-known local speaker, what does this mean for us? What are the teachable moments for here for us today? One teachable moment was for the disciples that they had waited and waited and waited, all told 10 days, worshiping continuously for 10 days. That could be quite a good thing, couldn't it? They were obedient to what they'd been told by Jesus and the angels after the ascension, returned to Jerusalem and waited. So a teachable moment for us from their experience is to be obedient to what Jesus tells us to do. Perhaps it is today to be patient and to wait. Be patient and wait because God's timing is so much better than ours. Be patient and wait and don't force anything by yourself in your own way for what you think is right. Can you imagine what it would have looked like if the disciples had not done as they were asked, if they'd not waited, if they forced it? What consequences for them? What consequences for us? But their waiting came to an end, and so will ours if we're in that place of waiting. If we're waiting for God to answer our prayers, as he told the disciples to wait, and they worshipped, we can do the same. We can worship we can pray as we wait. And can we be like them too as they waited when they were so caught up in worship that nothing could have stopped them? We don't know what precisely what the words were, but we can guess, can't we? We can imagine what they were saying, asking God to send the one whom he had promised, not fully understanding what God's will was. They prayed anyway. Can we do the same? not knowing what God's will might be, but praying anyway. We can. Because I think another teachable moment is that God is true to all his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. He told the disciples that he would do it, and he did it. We are his disciples too. What was true for them is true for us as well. Because what was given to them at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, is there for us too, if we say yes to God. And so, if we say yes to God, then we, like the disciples, can be filled with the power from on high. The power that comes from heaven, from God himself, because the power is God. We need to make ourselves available to him to say yes to being filled And then who knows what God might do? The disciples then were empowered to speak different languages. Initially, empowered to share the good news of the wonders of God with all those who could hear in their own tongue. But that wasn't the only thing they were empowered to do. This empowerment could be known as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And it's this that we look to God for. And Tom and Takamata, they're saying yes to God this evening, saying yes to having God in their lives. As we get baptized and as they are going to get baptized, we put off the old clothes of our old nature, our sinful nature, and God clothes us in new ones. We are clothed with power from on high, the Holy Spirit. It's a new beginning for them. And Pentecost was a new beginning for the disciples. It meant effectively that the church began on this day. So we celebrate today with Tom and Takamasa, their new beginning with life in Christ. If you like, it's their church birthday on the day that the church also has its own birthday. Pretty cool, well done. Those teachable moments I love to see happen then as a teacher, if I'm honest, we're hard won at times. But we can say yes to God afresh today and give ourselves to him as Takamasa and Tom are going to shortly. And yes, the opportunity for this to happen was hard won for by Jesus on the cross. But the extent of it is so far-reaching, it's limitless. Happy birthday.